Well, good morning. Welcome to Northridge Church. Thank you so much for being here. If you're a guest, welcome. We're in a series called Chapter 29, and the idea is that so many of us feel like God isn't working in us like he worked through those in the early days of the church, but we're wrong. The book of Acts in the Bible has 28 chapters, and we call this series Chapter 29 because he's still writing his story now through us in a brand new chapter called Chapter 29. And we're hoping that no matter what the first chapters of your story might have been like, that you'll let Jesus write an unbelievable story in your life now in chapter 29. But, but I tell you, if you're going to allow God to write a story in your life, you're going to have to deal with what all of us have dealt with, failure, right? Failure. I despise failure. I'm just curious, is there anyone out there that absolutely loves to fail? Yeah, I mean, failure, it's, it's such a difficult thing to deal with, but it's a huge part of our journey, isn't it? I mean, every single one of us fails in every arena of our lives, and I, I know I have, in my personal life, in my spiritual life, in my professional life, and I just thought I'd kind of start out by, by making sure you knew that I was on the same plane as you as it relates to failure, and the first one's personal. I... I was uh, a mess up as a kid. I, I can't make up new stories, so those of you who have been here for all 26 years that I've been here, you know, you got to hear them over and over, but I was a mess up as a kid, and, and many of you know that I was kicked out a bunch of schools, but I, I then came to faith in Christ, and I really thought that, boy, coming to faith in Christ, that would change absolutely everything, you know, who I was would never show up again because of who I am now, and and so I decided that I wanted to go back to the scene of my greatest failure up to that time. I had been kicked out of a school my parents sent me to in Saskatchewan, Canada, a year prior to coming to faith. And so I was going to go back and I was going to redeem myself. I was going to show everybody how different I was now that I was a follower of Jesus. And so that's exactly what I did. And, and I have to tell you, it started well. I mean, it did. I'm a pretty good starter. And no one could believe the unbelievable change that had come over my life. And then it happened. The old Brad reared his ugly head again. And in a moment of absolute stupidity, of which I am very well known for, I, I did just enough to get kicked out of that stupid school again a second time. So much for redeeming myself, right? I mean, and so, I mean, right there at the beginning of my faith, wanting to charge forward successfully, and, and you know, it was just another failure. In my spiritual life, I have failed time and time again in areas that I feel like are, are impossible to recapture. I, one of the first major failures I had as a Christ follower was... Um, I, I came back into the school where I had been known as the mess up and um, I was totally different. I mean, because I had come to faith in Christ, I was living a wildly different life. In fact, all of my friends uh, started calling me and you younger people are gonna have a hard time believing this is real, but it, it was. I grew up you know, in the 70s and um, they started calling me Jesus freak, right? What are you, a Jesus freak? And you, you might think that's weird, but see, I started out as just a freak. 
and all my freak friends were now saying, what are you, a Jesus freak now? And the truth was, I was. And it, I was excited that they were seeing it because I knew how empty they were, how hollow they were, how messed up their choices were. And I had now Jesus, and I wanted them to experience Jesus. And so I just really started laying down the idea of their need for Jesus. And, and he could change their life like he was changing my life. And it was going really well at first, but then it happened. Really one of the worst spiritual failures that I can remember. I fell back into the same old choices that had messed me up in the past. And as a result, one of my friends said something to me that burned this failure into my memory forever. He said, Brad, I told my girlfriend that if we waited long enough, we'd get the old Brad back. And then he looked me in the eye and he said, welcome back. That failure stung. Because I'd been telling them how Jesus was nothing like anything else, that Jesus wasn't a temporary hope, wasn't a quick fix, soon to pass by, but that Jesus was the real deal. And then I showed them that Jesus wasn't the real deal because I became the same old Brad and what they thought would happen, happened. They welcomed me back. I didn't only fail myself in that moment, or just the Lord, I failed my friends. I, I, I really think I had been the only one who could have ever introduced them to the hope of Jesus. And to this day, to the best of my knowledge, these friends have never come to Jesus. Because of my failure, they've gone through all of their life thinking that Jesus and Christianity is just another phase people go through. Failure. Debilitating failure. I've experienced failure professionally in my professional life. The first church I ever pastored, it was, a, it was a failing church. What other church would have called me to pastor it in those days, right? And they were really messed up. They, they really were. They, they, they were messed up. They, they had been a church of about, you know, 200, 250, and, and now they were a church of 18, 18 people. And they weren't the most spiritual lot, these people. Um, and, and I'll just prove this to you. you. You can make up your own mind. But, but the elders of the church, and if you're newer to the whole church deal, elders are, are, the, are supposed to be the more spiritually mature, the most advanced in their relationship with Jesus, the ones who understood the Christian life most and were most apt to be living it. These were the heroes of the faith in this particular church setting. Well, the elders of the church told me, as their new pastor, that they had tried the Bible way there, and it hadn't worked. So they wanted to go in a new direction. What a gang, right? I mean, spiritual elders at the best. They also told me, and I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up, they... They told me that their man-made constitution and bylaws, this is their statement of church rules, they told me that it was just as inspired as the Bible and it was their preference to follow their constitution instead of the Bible. I was in serious trouble as a pastor there, wouldn't you think? Uh, it's easy to see why the church was failing. Well, I believed God had called me there to lead them through a positive transition, to lead them back to a place where they were a church that was working right. The problem is that I, I went about it all the wrong way. I, 
I did transition to them instead of leading them through transition, and there's a big difference between those two things. You see, I wanted to be successful as a pastor, and I wanted that church to be successful, and if you think about it, that means it was all about me, and so I, I didn't care about these people that God had given me to shepherd and to pastor and to love and to, to nurture back into the fold with Jesus. I cared about being successful as a leader. And so I did all these things to them. I didn't lead them through them. And to be honest, I mean, we were successful for a little while. We, we grew from that 18 to 100 in six months. That's pretty phenomenal growth in a church that had been dying for decades. And, and we started seeing people come to faith in Christ for the very first time in that church in decades. People were coming alive spiritually in a place that hadn't been dead a long time. In fact, we were... We were scheduled to baptize 18 people, 18 people, and you need to know this is a big deal there because we had to clean the baptistry out of all the junk they had stored in there. It had been so long since they had baptized anyone, it had become another storage closet. And, and I mean, so things were really starting to happen, and it was pretty exciting, but, but it all blew up. The, the original 18 hated what I was doing, hated how I was doing it, and as it turns out, well, they hated me. And since I'd only been there six months, I had no time to get traction of influence and leadership. The 18 still owned the whole deal, and, and they won. And so picture this scene, if you would. I stood on a platform on a Sunday morning, and I read a very somber and difficult resignation letter to the congregation and they applauded that was a moment and then as Roxanne and I were walking the walk of shame out of the auditorium one of those spiritual elders stood on the platform where I had just resigned and in prayer actually thanked God for answering their prayers At that moment, I thought I was done with ministry. I mean, I obviously couldn't do it, and if I'm really honest with you, I didn't want to do it. If this is what ministry was, I wanted nothing to do with it. I was a failure, personally, spiritually, professionally. And those three failures, pretty big, were littered with many other failures, and, and I was only 26. <laughs> I was just getting started at the failure thing. Um, but the wonderful truth that I'm going to share with you this weekend is a truth that's changed my life forever. In fact, I'm going to tell you it's the truth that has made my entire life and my entire ministry possible. And I believe it's a truth that can absolutely change your life as well. And here's the truth. God only uses failures. That's pretty good. Because most of us are paralyzed by our failure. Most of us isolate from God because of our failure. Most of us stay at a distance. We, we never become all that God wants us to become. We never become all that God has created and called us to become because how in the world could he use us? We're failures. But the truth is, and this has been life-changing for me, God only uses failures. That's all he uses. Stop holding back because you're a failure and start realizing that's who God's looking for. 
It's all he uses. God wrote 28 brilliant chapters of his story through the lives of those who followed him in the beginning days of the church in this book we call Acts. And, and it's interesting. They were all written as stories of failures that God made into something beautiful and used in profound ways. And now God is wanting to write chapter 29. And you know who he's looking for? The same kind of people. Failures like you and me. A great example of this is Peter. You can look at every story in the book of Acts, and they all started as failures. But let's use Peter. I've been reading through Acts time and time and time again for the last about six months, and, and it just keeps jumping out at me. I mean, it follows the book of Luke, you know, the Gospels, and you know, the Gospels end with Peter failing dramatically, denying Jesus three times after declaring he was better than everyone else. And Jesus had looked and said, you're going to deny him. And can you imagine looking God in the eye and saying, you're wrong this time, I'm going to stand. And I mean, he had a huge, huge, huge fall. Humpty Dumpty had fallen off the wall. And you'd think you couldn't put him back together again. But then in the book of Acts... Look what we find in verses 12 and 15. Then the apostles, Jesus just went to heaven, and the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. And, and in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. And if you read through the book of Acts, you're going to see it's weird. Peter's the one that keeps standing up in front of everybody. He, he stood up among the leaders of the early church, the, the original 12, you know, the, the ones that were remaining, minus Judas, and and he took leadership, and you go, that doesn't seem right. I mean, he's the one that had the biggest fall. Why is he the one standing and leading? And yet, that's what he's doing. He's leading them. And he, he's the one that stood up in front of all the believers of that day. He, what, what? he was probably the least deserving to stand in front of all the believers. Boy, do I know that feeling. But yet, he was the one standing. And, and then when it came the time to, to deliver the message to the thousands, he he was the one that stood. Isn't that crazy? Until you understand the truth. God only uses failures. He wants to use me and you. It's a big deal. And I, I want to go back to that story where, where Jesus actually told Peter, you're, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to have a great fall. And I want to I highlight a verse that, that I think we often miss in the story that that reminds us that Jesus only uses failures and why. why. Why Peter felt confident that he could stand up in the book of Acts even though he had fallen so hard in the, in the Gospels. Look at Luke 22, verse 32. Jesus is talking to Peter, this whole thing about his three denials, he's prophesying it, and he says, he says but I want you to know I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. I, I don't want your faith to fail. I haven't... I haven't willed your faith to fail. I, I'm not making you fail. I mean, I'm praying that you don't, but, but you're going to. He had already said, you're going to deny me three times. And then look what he says. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You're going to fall. I've been praying for you. I wish you wouldn't, but you're going to fall. It's going to be big. But, but when you've turned back, I have confidence you're going to turn back. You're going to repent. You're going to trust me. And you're going to, you're going to become everything I've told you you're going to become. You're be going to become that Peter, that rock, that, that one that I can use to build my church. You're, you, you're going to fulfill the call on your life. I, I, I still want you to lead. I still want you to become. I still want you to change the world. 
when you turn back. And I, I get such confidence from this as a failure myself because in that passage, I see some things that I want you to observe. Jesus, Jesus knows our failures before they happen. When Jesus picked out Peter, it wasn't like he picked out Peter and said, I think this one will make it. I think this one's awesome. I don't think this one's going to fall. And then when Peter falls, he's not going, should have had a V8. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus picked him knowing his failure. Jesus knows our failures before they happen. Why do we hide from him when he already knew? When he died for you, he knew. When he chose you, he knew. When he made you promises, he knew. When he picked out a will for you, a purpose for you, he knew. So why would you allow your failure to keep you from becoming everything he wants you to become? He's looking at you and saying, hey, when you turn back, I want you to fulfill your call. I observe in this passage that Jesus loves us even in the face of our failures. I just love the part where he says, I've been praying for you that your faith wouldn't fail. Isn't that amazing? Jesus himself, he just said you're going to fail. You're going to fail three times, but I've been praying that you wouldn't. <laughs> Isn't that weird? I really, I don't want you to go through that. I don't want you to experience that brokenness and that devastation. I'm I'm praying that you won't, but I know you will. Do you know what does that? Love. Jesus was loving on him, even in the face of his failure. Peter was going to ditch Jesus to try and save his own hide, and Jesus still loved him profoundly. And I want you to know, when I look at myself in the mirror, sometimes I have a hard time looking because I know the failure. Sometimes I have a hard time trying to see God eye to eye because I know my failures, but, but I need to understand, as Peter came to understand, that Jesus loves me even in the face of my failures, and he does you too. Don't run from him. Run to him. When I look at this and realize God only uses failures and see what he did here with Peter, I realize that Jesus prays for us in the midst of our failures. Jesus himself prays for us. Now, I cherish anyone who comes to me and says, Brad, I'm praying for you. I mean, and I always say, keep on praying. I really need it. Keep on praying. I really need it. I mean, I cherish anyone who says they're going to pray for me. But the truth is, you know, when people tell me they're praying for me, I always think, oh, dear Jesus, let them be good at it. You know what I mean? Because I just don't want people who are crappy at it praying for me, right? I mean, do you understand what I'm saying here? I mean, I value Keep praying for me. But if you're crappy at it, I need some good people too, you know? And so it's like... But here's the thing. Jesus is great at it. We know this for a fact. I mean, when he prayed, the blind saw, the lame got up and walked. When he prayed, Lazarus walked out of a tomb. This guy can pray. And he's the one that's praying for me. You say, Noah prayed for Peter. How do I know he's praying for me? Look at Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able to completely save those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God and you know what he's doing? He's praying for all of us mess-ups. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is praying for us. This is big. 
Stop running from him and start running to him. God only uses people like us. And when I look at Peter, I realize that, whoa, Jesus does not see our failures as final. We do. We often say, ah, put the nail in the coffin on that one. Done deal. Personally, spiritually, because we're failures in every area, I mean, we've given up in every area. We're, we're living below our potential, but Jesus doesn't see our failures as final. He says, you're going to fail me big time, buddy. I know you're standing tall right now, and you think you're big, and you've already said that you're better than all these, and you'll never fall, and you think you're smarter than I am, because I'm telling you you're going to fall, and you're saying you're not, and you're, it's going to be big this fall. But when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. He didn't see this failure as final. Peter felt like it was final in the moment. But he didn't see it as final. I feel like my failures are final often in the moment. Remember when I, when I walked the walk of shame out of that auditorium and they're thanking God that, thank God that guy's gone. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm 26 years old. I just started this thing. And I go, I'm done. It's over. I'm a, I mean, failure is my name. But I don't know if you've noticed I'm here, and I'm doing ministry. I'm a pastor right now. Because he doesn't see failure as final. It's a big deal. When I look at this, I realize Jesus sees us in light of our future, not our failures. He sees us in light of our future, not our failures, our past. That's a big deal. Do you know what holds most of us back? We view our future as limited by our past. Most of us are defeated in the morning before we ever put our pants on because we're failures. I won't overcome that addiction today. Never have, never will. I, I won't be able to forgive today. Never have, never will. I'm not going to get over this bitterness and anger. Never have, never will. I'm, not gonna, I'm just not going to be able to live successfully. Never have, never will. But... But Jesus doesn't see us as limited by our past. Jesus sees us in light of what he can do with us in our unlimited future. When you turn back, Peter, strengthen your brothers. He, he's going, you're the biggest failure of my gang almost. Judas is pretty bad too, I guess. But you're, you're like you and Judas, you know? But I, I want to make you one of the big boys in my kingdom. Because the bigger the failure, the bigger the potential. Wow. When I look at Peter, I realize that Jesus will transform our failures from negatives to positives if we respond properly. I mean, failure, it creates negatives, doesn't it? I mean, this is why I hate failures. It creates negatives. But Jesus can turn those negatives into positives if we respond properly. Now, now think about this. Judas and Peter were about equal failures. Everybody thinks Judas was worse. So he gave Jesus over for a couple pieces of silver. Peter's cussing out a little girl saying, I'm not one of his followers. I don't want to die. You know, I mean, it's like they're equal failures, both big time. Jesus spotted Judas and said, you're going to deny me. And he spotted Peter, you're going to deny me. They were both going to fail him in such a large way that Jesus told them about their failure before it happened, right? They're both big, but we don't see Peter as a failure, but we do Judas. How many of you have kids named Judas? (laughs) 
I mean, have you heard of the St. Judas Basilica in Rome? No. Why? Because he's a failure. Loser! But Peter failed just as big. And yet we have St. Peter's Basilica. And all kinds of art with him looking funky with a halo over his head. I mean, how'd that happen? Because he responded properly. You see, Judas decided that his failure was final in spite of what Jesus said. Judas decided that it didn't matter what Jesus said. He couldn't be forgiven. Judas decided he had blown it so big even God couldn't fix it. And so Judas killed himself because it was all over. He was without hope. Peter was at the same place of despair. But he took Jesus at his word and says, you can forgive even me. He said, you know, when you turn back, I can turn back and I can strengthen my brothers. My life can still count. I'm going to take you at your word. And Jesus always fulfills his promises. And so Judas is known as a failure because he didn't respond properly. Peter is known as a success because he responded properly. Can I ask you, how are you responding to your failures? I'm not asking if you have them. I know we pretend we don't. You're looking mighty fine. But we're all failures. But how are we responding? Which leads me to the last thought about Peter here. Jesus makes it clear that on, the only failure that's final, and there are failures that final, Judas, Judas proves that, but the only failure that's final is a failure of faith. Judas could not believe that he could be forgiven, and so he died of failure. Peter could not accept that Jesus wasn't telling the truth, so he took him at his word, and he experienced the reality of it. Jesus said it, look at John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Whoever believes in him, no matter how big the failure, is not condemned, but whoever does not stand and believe in Jesus, no matter how small the failure, is condemned already, because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. It's a failure of faith. Those who experience God's great work in their lives are not less of failures, sometimes they're even greater failures. It's just that they respond properly with faith. How are you responding? Maybe this is a better question. What's, what's the failure that's haunting you? Well, what's the failure that's weighing you down, that's holding you back? Don't be like Judas, be like Peter. The good news is that your failure, whatever it is, doesn't have to define you. The same is true with me. In fact, here's the application I want to I give you to weave into your life. If we don't want our failures to define our lives, if we don't want to end like Judas, but we want to end like Peter, then like Peter, we must by faith do a couple of things. Like, like Peter, we must own up to our failures. Own up to them. 1 John 1, 1.9 says it, if we confess our sins, and that word confess means to acknowledge, to bring it to the service, to, to the surface, to, to shine the light on it, to acknowledge it, to own up to it. If we own up to our failures, our sins, and give them to him, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And Judas didn't believe it, so he didn't do it, but Peter did, and look at the difference. And I have to tell you, I experienced this personally in a very, very big way. You know, remember me with that, that first church, right? They were crazy people. Lunatics. Really? 
the elders didn't even believe the Bible. I mean, it was like, <laughs> I might as well have gotten up and preached out of the Koran. I mean, they just, they just weren't, they weren't getting it as Christians. And so when I failed, I blamed them. It was those crazy people's fault. I mean, how in the world could I be a successful pastor with people who don't even believe the Bible? How can I do this when, when those people are so filled with anger? They don't, they don't even get excited when people are coming to Jesus. They don't even get excited when, when people are going to get baptized. They'd rather have a church that uses their baptistry as a storage closet than to have it used to see people come. How could I be successful? It's their fault. The problem is I was wrong. It wasn't their fault. And as long as I kept blaming them, I remained locked in my failure, held back by it. I couldn't become. But when I realized that it was my failure, that I was using them and that church to do great things for myself, when I realized that I wasn't being a pastor or shepherd, I wasn't showing them the love of Jesus and trying to move them anywhere, I was trying to use what they had to build something new for myself, it was then that I could own up to it and say, Jesus, forgive me. I, I failed as a pastor not because of them, but because of me. And it was then I was free to step back into ministry because I was starting to develop a heart for ministry. Do you see it? The truth is, God used them to do great things in my life. How can I hate the people that God used to help construct me in a new way? And so I owned up to my failures and it freed me to move forward. But that's not enough. We then have to, like Peter, by faith, give our failures to Christ. Because if all you do is own up to your failures, but you don't give them to Jesus, if we confess our sins to him, 1 John 1, 9 says, if all we do is own up to our failures, but we don't give them to Jesus, you know what we, we do? We, we get crushed by the weight of that knowledge. If I couldn't have given my failures to Jesus when I owned up to the fact that I was the real problem in that church, this would have killed me because I would have said, they were crazy, but I'm crazier. Ah, I need medicine. You know, I mean, seriously, I would have, it, it, but, but I had to give my failure to him. And you know what he does with it? He takes it away. Yeah, you are a failure, but but I'm going to transform you. Acts 20, 21 says, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. You know, turn to, uh, repentance is a word that means, you know, change direction, turn around. Instead of going the way you've been going, turn around, go back to Christ. And doesn't it remind you of what Jesus says, when you turn back, Peter, then strengthen my brothers? Every single one of us has to come to the place like Peter and we have to turn back. We have to entrust our failures to, to Christ. I need to tell you, and this is true for all of us, Jesus alone can get you past your failures. Jesus alone. Because there's nothing you can do today or in the future that can change your past. Nothing. But Jesus can change you. <laughs> well, he can't change your past, but he can change you, which changes everything forward. Are you kidding me? Jesus paid the price necessary to remove this, the, the failures of our past. and We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We can't earn his forgiveness, but we can receive it. But we, like Peter, have to choose to give our failures to Jesus or else we have to 
destroy ourselves like Judas did. Have you? Are you? And finally, like, if we're going to really not be defined by our failures, then like Peter, by faith, we, we need to take Jesus at his word. Judas didn't, Peter did. I mean, and look at Romans 6.11. Paul the apostle says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And what he was doing, he was talking to people who were going, you're saying you're following Jesus, but you're still living in defeat. You're, you're still living the old you, and, and you're not living the new you, and the reason is you're not really believing you're new. And he says, so you've got to count it to be true. I, I know it doesn't feel like you're a new you. I know it doesn't seem like you're a new you. I know you have some of the same desires at work in you. It doesn't seem like it, but you need to, by faith, count it to be true. You're new and start living a new way. Take Jesus at his word. And you know what his word says about us in Jesus, right? His word says that in Jesus, God removes the stain. And I... I can still espouse my failures many more than I've given you this, this weekend, but, but if I'm not careful, I can feel stained by them and scarred by them. But, but Jesus says he removes the stain. Look at Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet and they can stain you, they shall be white as snow. Though they're like red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, he removes the stain. Do you see yourself with the stain or do you see it removed? Take Jesus at his word. What else does his word say? It says that God forgets our sin. Forgets it. I mean, look at Jeremiah 31, 34 and 35. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I won't even remember them. And yet every day we get up and we're defeated by them. Why are we defeated by something that God doesn't even remember anymore? Isn't that the dumbest thing? It's not smart. You see, here's the problem. We're keeping score. God's not. God is not a performance-based God. He's a grace-based God. So stop keeping score and just let go and let grace. I mean, this is an important deal. God forgets our sin. Take him at his word. And you know what his word says? It's, his word says God gives a clean slate. A brand clean slate. A brand new life. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The old Brad is gone. The new Brad has come. Count it to be so. Take him at his word. And I have to tell you, this is really important to me because I've tried to communicate throughout this talk that I see my life in terms of old Brad and new Brad, right? Old Brad and new Brad. And I'm going to be honest. I live in fear of old Brad. Absolute fear. Because he's a mess, and if I revert back to him, he'll destroy everything I value and care about. But, but here's the truth. When you live in fear of who you were, you're giving the old you power over who you are. You can't do that. Because who you are is new. Who you are is Jesus, not who you were. We need to learn to take Jesus at his word. He's given us a new slate. The old is gone, the new has come. And I don't know what the previous 28 chapters of your story were, but I do know 
what he wants your chapter 29 to be. He wants it to be awesome. A brand new story. But we have to do what Peter did. We have to come to him. Own our failures. Give them to him and take him at his word. And if we don't, then we're like Judas. We'll keep destroying ourselves. This is our moment. And so before I give you the last couple of thoughts of the talk, would you bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment? And if you're already a believer, I just want to encourage you. I mean, if you're anything like me, and I think you are, you live in defeat more than you should because... You see yourself as a failure more than you should. And I just encourage you to spend time renewing this idea that you're new in him. But if you've never trusted Jesus, you need to trust him now. I'm going to pray and I'm going to encourage you to take the words of my prayer but make them the expression of, of your heart to God. And just in your heart to God, just say, Jesus, I, I own the failure. I, I'm guilty. I have failed you and failed myself. I've sinned against you. I've lived without you. But Jesus, you died on that cross so that my sins could be taken away and rose again so I could have new life. And so I'm giving my failures to you and asking by faith for you to give new life to me. I'm going to take you at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you just prayed with me, I just really want to encourage you, please let us know, would you? Just let us know. We've, we gave you a letter. We have a letter we've written that we want to give to you that tells you about next steps you can take in your relationship with God. And all you have to do is let us know you prayed with me. And so in your programs, if you're in one of our services, is this connection card. It's so easy. Just rip it out, fill it out, and at the bottom, check the relevant statement that goes with you. And then there are boxes at every exit in all of our regional environments here in Plymouth. And just put it in there and we'll do the rest. And if you're watching online, we're really thankful that you've joined us. Just hit the what next button and we'll do the same for you. But, but there's one last idea that I learned from Peter. And that's that when I, when I don't live imprisoned by the failure of my past, it frees me up to finally stop living imprisoned by my selfishness. And the truth is that when we really turn back to Jesus, we're not defined by our failures because we start serving God by investing in others. And that's what Peter did. You know when he got himself in trouble is when he was serving himself. No, I'm not one of his followers. That would be bad for me. But, but then after Jesus forgave him, he started saying, I'm going to serve others. I'm going to invest myself for them. Look at Luke 22, 32. It's exactly what Jesus said. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, live for yourself, dude. Oh, wait, that's not what he said. And isn't that what we Christians do? We're here to say, man, I want to get all this truth so I can go out and get all the prosperity and get all the success and get all the wins and become all that. No. If you're trying to use Jesus to build your kingdom, that's what... Peter was doing before. To strengthen your brothers. Live for others. We need to share the hope that Jesus has given to us with others. We need to pass it on. We need to pay it forward. And here's how I want to end. We, we tend to let our failures define and destroy us. We let them keep us from pursuing God. But in actuality, 
Our failures should be the reason we pursue God. Not the reason we avoid him. We need him because of our failures. Our failures don't have to be final. In fact, our failures can actually become the foundation of our hope if we give them to God. The truth is, all that God is doing through me these days is the result of the brokenness he repaired from my failures of the past. Wow. For the... For the story God is writing right now in chapter 29, what we have to do is we have to stop seeing ourselves through the lens of our failure and start seeing ourselves through the lens of our forgiveness. Stop limiting ourselves to, the, to what we were in the past and start freeing ourselves up to the unlimited potential of our future in Jesus. He's, he's looking for some people who will give their failures to him, who will just trust him to do something great with their lives. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I want to be one of those people. I, I pray that you'll be that kind of person. So that together, Northridge Church will be this place that, that shines brightly in a world of darkness. Because though we all were once Judas and Peter, we're now new in Jesus. We're not the old, we're the new. And that's some hope. Hope to see you next time. Thanks, everybody.